We are in a a little series called Being a Real Spiritual Person. This is a study in the book of 1 John. And that just, uh, again, that that title, Real Spiritual Person, does not denote being a really spiritual person, like very spiritual. It means being real, as in authentic and genuine, being a real spiritual person. So the the Apostle John, who not only authored uh, this book that we're looking at, but the companion letters, 2nd and 3rd John, as well as the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, had a very uh, close and intimate relationship with Jesus. They were actually cousins. If you go back to the birth story, they were only born just a, a few months apart. And so, you know, you think certainly they grew up together. John and Jesus out running around, playing in the field, catching lizards, doing boy stuff, you know. Um, As adults, then, John became one of Jesus' closest disciples. You read through the Gospels, it's interesting. There's different groups of people. There's oftentimes just, there's a a large group referred to simply as the crowds. And you see the crowds, they kind of follow Jesus around, but they come and go. And then there was a smaller group, and, you know, Mary and Martha and, and their brother, in a certain group, that they're kind of closer to Jesus. They sort of stick with him throughout it all. And then there's an even smaller group of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose and that were with him all the time. But within that group, there was an even smaller group. Peter, James, and John seemed to be kind of the inner circle and were with Jesus often at times when the others weren't. They were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when his glory was revealed just to the three of them. And then At the Last Supper, when we see the disciples gathered together there around the table, and as we've uh, talked about before, they didn't sit in chairs like we did. They kind of reclined on the floor. And it was John who was next to Jesus. And it was John who leaned back and put his head on Jesus' chest and could uh, probably feel his heartbeat, maybe even sense the anxiety that Jesus was feeling at that moment. After his arrest, uh, even many of his closest followers, the disciples, scattered. But at the foot of the cross, we see John looking up and watching uh, his dearest friend breathe his last breath. At the beginning of this letter, John says, I'm writing about what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've touched. And uh, certainly... As well as anyone, John knew Jesus. His letter is written in response to some other folks who who also say that they know Jesus. In fact, some of them say, hey, we kind of have, we've got sort of a special knowledge. We've got kind of an inside line on on what it means to connect with God and relate with God. And, And yet some of the things they were saying didn't really line up with what John believed to be true. And so he's responding to that. He wants... His, uh, his readers, his friends, and, and really by virtue of sort of, you know, affiliation, us, to know the truth and to know what it really means to actually walk with Jesus in a very real and authentic way. And, and that's why he's, he's written this letter. So last week we talked about walking in the light and, and how we deal with sin in our lives in an authentic way. And if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to Listen to the podcast. If you, I think if you just go on iTunes and put in Portland Vineyard, you'll find it. Rogan says yes. So we're going to continue the, 
next section in chapter 2 today and talk about a real relationship with God. What does that look like? So let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you for this book uh, and the way that we can look at it, written so long ago, and, and it has real application to our lives today, and we can understand what it means to walk with you and grow in relationship with you uh, through your word. So I, I ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, and that you would cause your word to sink into not only our minds, but our hearts as well, and to bear fruit in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to do this just a little bit differently this morning. I typically read the entire passage we're going to look at up front, but I'm just going to take it a couple verses at a time uh, instead, and I hope that's okay with all of you. Verses uh, 3 and 4, again, 1 John chapter 2. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Some uh, strong language from the Apostle there. Um, When you walk in the light, you begin to see things differently, don't you? And this is a metaphor. He's speaking spiritually, but it really is a good metaphor. We can understand it. It's like when you turn the lights on. Any of you who have ever gotten up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water or go to the bathroom and step on that Lego that your four-year-old grandson left in the middle of the kitchen floor know what I'm talking about. It's a very different situation if you turn the light on and you see that Lego and you don't step on it, isn't it? When the light's on, when we walk in the light, we begin to realize certain things in our life may not be productive or helpful to us. Now, again... There's a transformation that takes place when we come into relationship with Jesus, right? And, and, and some things will change almost immediately. But what I found is that the longer you walk in the light, you come to realize there may be other things in your life that need to be changed as well that you weren't even really aware of before. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, our, our, there, there's a process of walking in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit just sort of illuminating things in our lives and we see things differently than we saw before. John says here, we know what we know. We know that we know that. He's repeating himself really for emphasis. He's not saying this is what we think or this is kind of the way it goes. He's saying we're absolutely certain that we know him if we keep his commands. And if we don't, we're a liar. You see, it's it's not just about how I feel. You know, we were praying this morning before service about just coming into the presence of God today. And I think all of us, I know I am one, I love feeling the presence of God in my life. I love sensing and knowing that I'm with Him and He's there. I love that. But that isn't the end game, to be quite honest. It's not about how we feel. It's not about what I believe. It's not just enough to say, well, I've got my theology in line. My ducks are all in a row. I believe all the right things. It's not enough to say, you know, I prayed this prayer, and so I'm good to go. All of those things are part of what it means to follow Christ. But, but here's the thing, and, and, and this, is, this is really the thing. If we believe 
that following Jesus, accepting Jesus into our life and trusting Jesus is a supernatural transformational reality, then it will change our behavior. If it doesn't, then there's one of two things. First of all, if it doesn't change our behavior, the one option, one possibility is that we're wrong. We're just wrong. It's really not a supernatural transformational reality at all. And if that's the case, we might as well all go home. Pour the Bloody Marys and turn on the football because that's as good as it's going to get today. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Or the other option is, we're a liar. If you say you know God and you don't keep His commands, you're a liar. Now, don't kill the messenger. Okay? This is a classic case. I... (laughs) I, I find that to be fairly strong language. I can honestly say, in 35 years of ministry, I have never talked with a person who may have had some things in their life that weren't quite lined up with what I felt like God wanted for them and looked at them and said, you're a liar. I've never said that. I, I find that to be a bit harsh. But apparently the Apostle John doesn't. He doesn't seem to have any qualms about calling us out and saying, hey, if, if, if your life isn't really changed, you can't really say you're walking with God because you're not. John Stott is a uh, New Testament scholar, commentator that I really enjoy a lot. And on this particular verse, Stott says, no religious experience is valid if it doesn't have moral consequences. That's powerful. No religious experience is valid if it doesn't have moral consequences. If we don't change, we can have Holy Ghost goosebumps all day long, and we can shake and fall over and and cry and laugh and levitate and bark like dogs or whatever you want. If your life doesn't change, it doesn't mean anything. Thank you. It doesn't mean anything. If I, could, if I could summarize what I what I hear John saying in this first part here, it would be this, that increased intimacy brings increased obedience. The closer I walk with Jesus, the more my life will change. Let's uh, look at the next couple of verses. But, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God, and this is beautiful, is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. See, if you kind of look at verses 3 and 4 as sort of the negative side of this equation, this would be the more positive side. If you say you follow God, but you're not changed, then you're a liar. But if you do obey Him, then His love is made complete in you. And so... Not only, here's the, here's the, this is good. This is good, guys. I'm sorry. This is good. Not only does increased intimacy bring increased obedience, but increased obedience brings increased intimacy. You see, the closer I walk with Jesus, the more my life is changed. The more my life is changed, the closer I get to Jesus. The closer I get to Jesus, the more my life will change. And the more my life changes, the closer I get to Jesus. It's a good deal. 
If we live in Him, we end up looking more and more like Jesus all the time. The, uh, that word live there is an interesting little word. It's the exact same word. The Greek word is meno, uh, and it's translated different ways at different places. Um, in the Gospel of John, by the same author, he quotes Jesus as saying this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. And that word remain is the exact same word as live in 1 John. So it's, re- it's translated live in 1 John, but remain in John. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Another word that is sometimes used to translate that particular word is abide. We talk about abiding, remain, live. It's it's a simple concept. It means to stay, to hang out, to be present. We live in an area, the, the, the image is sort of the vine and the branches, and that's a grapevine there, and we live in an area where there's a lot of grapevines. Anybody ever seen a grapevine? Yeah, if you haven't, you're asleep. Um, we have them at our house, all along the, the fence. They, uh, between my house and my neighbor's house, the neighbor actually planted them. They're his vines, but we get to pick grapes, which is really nice. Um, but he prunes them, and it's interesting because... What, he, what this says is really true. When, when they grow, and they grow quickly, the vine and then the branches come off, and the branches get the bark on them, and they look just like the vine. They look very, they're the same. And you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. And every year when he cuts them, he cuts them way back, and I go, oh my gosh, he's going to kill that thing. He's cutting it down to nothing. And surprise, 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 man, they grow right back. The closer you get to someone, the more you become like them. Isn't that true? Now, that can be bad in certain situations. Sometimes uh, we hang out with people that might not be a good influence on us, and we become like them. That's not a good thing. But in the case of Jesus, it is a good thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. The more we hang out with Jesus, the more like him we become. And that really is the goal, isn't it? So so again, kind of summary of these first few verses here. If we are in an authentic relationship with Jesus, if we're becoming real spiritual people, then that means that we have a depth of relationship with him that comes from spending time with Him, abiding, hanging out, being with Him. And, and, and really, it's, it's not just time, but it's energy. It's, it's to put forth some commitment and some level of energy towards that relationship. To spend time and energy with Him. And if we do that, it will affect our lives. It will change the way that we live. It will alter our lifestyle. Amen? Good, thank you. Um, verse 7. Dear friends, sometimes it says beloved there. I like beloved. Dearly beloved. Don't laugh at me. That's good. You can laugh at me all you want. I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, and yet 
I am writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Dear friends, if we're in authentic relationship with Jesus, it will not only transform our behavior, it will also transform our relationships. Okay? Is this a new command or an old command? This is a classic both-and situation, right? Uh, it's both and. It's an old command. Why is it an old command? It's an old command because that's what the people of God had always been told. From the very beginning, the children of Israel were told, love your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus. It's way back there in the beginning. Love your neighbor. Why is it a new command? It's a new command because Jesus brings a level of depth and clarity and insight to it that wasn't there before. In fact, he ups the ante. What does Jesus say? He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I say, love your enemy. Oh. He tells stories like the Good Samaritan that break down the boundaries of who we're supposed to love. Oh, I got to love people that are different than me. Ugh. That's hard. It's a new command. Because all the rules have changed, and suddenly I've got to really think about who I love. I'm going to say, I want to add to I really, this is a very kingdom of God dynamic in reality here. He's talking about walking in the light, and as we move forward in the light and in relationships with one another, the kingdom of God is advanced. But if we choose to walk in darkness and not walk in relationship with our brothers and sisters, then the kingdom of God is held back in those situations. We have the opportunity to work in partnership with the Spirit of God to bring His kingdom into our community in a very real way, simply by choosing to walk with and love one another. Uh, Just before service this morning, I was talking to Pastor Dorothy uh, and she was at a uh, conference this week of leaders of the Lutheran denomination in the Northwest. And, uh, you know, for, for many years, as long as I've been here, uh, Oregon has bounced around as the first or second most unchurched state in the nation. And she said that currently right now today, Oregon is the most unchurched state in the United States of America. And, drum roll, Portland, Oregon is the most unchurched city in the country. Fewer people per capita attend church in Portland, Oregon than any city, any major city in this nation. And so it strikes me that we have the opportunity to advance the kingdom and shine some light in the lives of people that don't have the light. And all we've got to do is love one another. Boom. Is that not a cool deal? Is, is that not something that could happen that could change the state, 
the city, the nation, the world, just by just just you and me by getting along can cause the light to move forward and affect the lives of other people. I don't know that's a good deal. So 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 again, the intensity of what John is saying here. is that if we're Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, that how we relate to one another will change. And if that doesn't happen, he says, we're blinded. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think there's some Christians walking around today in blindness. They've made the decision to allow the enemy to put blinders on their eyes, and they hold bitterness and Anger and hatred and unforgiveness towards other brothers and sisters. And they're blinded. If we remain in Him, if we walk with Him, if we abide in Him, we can't allow those things to control our life. I I just think that's... I'm going to just throw that out there as a word for us today. I, I think if you're here this morning and whether it's here or elsewhere, if you've got things in your heart against a brother and sister, I'm going to encourage the end of service today to, to do some business. Go to God and, 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 and just let's lay those things aside. Let's move forward together. Be like them. Do you ever notice that? Kids get mad at each other, and then, like, four seconds later, they're over it. That's, a good, that's good. That's a good plan. It's okay. I get mad at you. And dang it, Brogan. Oh, I'm over it. You're my friend again. I never get mad at Brogan. I've completely gone off the rails. Um, here's the challenge. I, I think this is the challenge for us. So so John is writing to a group of people who collectively are saying these things, right? And he's identifying some error in what they're saying about relationship with God. For us, probably that's not the case. I I don't know that we see groups of people saying these things today. It's probably much more individualized than that. And that's the challenge because, again, as I said earlier, most of us, most of us are probably not going to say to somebody, you're a liar, you're blinded, whatever, if they're not walking with Christ the way that we think they maybe should. That seems pretty judgmental, and, and let's be honest, it kind of is. And so my recommendation to us is this. John gives us some... They're they're tests, really. They're litmus tests. Do you have an authentic relationship with Jesus? If you do, these things will happen. One, you'll be obedient. You'll follow His commands. Two, you'll have good relationships with one another. I would suggest we take those things to heart and kind of use them for some self-examination and say, how am I doing in this process? Am, am, Am I able to identify any of those things in my life Are there ways in which maybe I am professing to walk with Christ, but I'm really uh, not? The the next few verses here are a bit of a digression, and I'm not going to look at them. You can read them later, but verses, I think it's uh, 12 through 14. 
he, he sort of digresses and he breaks his audience down into three groups of people. He says there's, there's children and there's young men and there's spiritual fathers. And he's not talking about chronological age. He really is, he's talking about spiritual age. And he's saying some of you are new to the faith. Some of you have been around for a while. Some of you have been in this a long time. And he kind of just reminds them that why he's writing. And then, and then he goes on to conclude this section. And I want to just look at the last two verses in the section, and we'll wrap up there. Um, and if you guys want to come up now, you can. Um, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. In case there's any question here, the term world does not mean the earth. So if you love the earth, if you like to go out in nature and hike, you're okay. If you're a tree hugger, that's okay. You don't have to give that up. Uh, He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking necessarily about life on earth. The term world here is really a reference to a spiritual system, a society that's organized under and controlled by evil. It's a world system. And it's a further contrast of dark and light. He's he's really, again, re-emphasizing that a true relationship with Jesus is going to look a little different than what the norm in our society might be. And there's two parts to that. The first part is this, that it's an oxymoron to say, I love the world and I love God. I can't do both things. It's really very much the same as what Jesus meant when he said you can't serve two masters, God and mammon. You can't go both ways. Now look, Here's the thing, and this is something that that previous passage that we skipped kind of brings out, is that we're all moving in a direction with God, and different ones of us are moving at different rates, and that's okay. Some are advancing in their relationship faster, some slower. Some are moving, uh, you know, in some areas faster and some areas slower. That's all okay. We're all moving the same direction. That's good. That's fine. But you can't go both directions. So maybe you're progressing more slowly than somebody else. That's okay. You're moving the same way. That's what he's saying. But he's saying you can't, you can't go here and go there all at the same time. What does it look like to love the world? And he gives us some definition here. First thing is that it's marked by the lust of the flesh. There's a world system today that's controlled by the lust of the flesh. Do anybody know that? Do you know why we read in the newspaper every day about sexual abuse cases, about harassment? Do you know why our world is so infiltrated with pornography? Do you know why these things happen? Because we live in a society, in a culture, in a world that's controlled by somebody who says it's okay to do that. That's why. He talks about the lust of the eye. The lust of the eye broadens that even further. It's not just in that area. It's, it's really covetousness. Co- covetousness? How do you say that word? Coveting things. It's being greedy. This is what it is. You want it practical terms? You see that, you go, I gotta have that. There's the new 12K TV, I gotta have it. There's the new iPhone 27, I gotta have that. There's that new car, I gotta, I gotta get that, I gotta have that. You see it, you gotta have it. 
And again, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with having things. Things are okay. What's wrong is when the desire for things supplants the desire for God. When you want things more than you want God, then you've missed the mark. You're going the wrong direction. The third thing goes hand in hand with that. That's the pride of life. The pride of life is arrogance. It's, it's, it's self-dependence. It's, it's, it's what, look what I've done. I did this. I built this. It's my, look at, there's my tower. I did it. It's all mine. I'm the one. These things are characteristics of the world that we live in today. And John says they have no place in a relationship with God. They're completely inappropriate for God's people. And then his bottom line at the end of the day, and he says this is, not only that, but they're temporal. They're going to they're gonna fall away. Whoever said you can't take it with you was right. You can't take it with you. And the truth is, if you love those things, you ain't going anyway. Sorry. I'm like, Zoe, sorry, not sorry. That was a great verse to read, by the way. I like, that's one of my favorite prayers in the whole world. Relationship with God is the only thing that's eternal. And if we pursue that with our heart, that'll hold. Amen? Amen.